The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Lots to chat with you about here today. I hope I get through it all. We're going to begin with your taxes because it is tax season and you may well have gotten stimulus payments last year and perhaps even unemployment income as well. How does that affect your taxes? Well, if you've got the full amount due and your circumstances haven't changed, your income hasn't changed, you don't have to do anything. Do not include information about stimulus payments on your 2020 tax return. It's as simple as that. Now, if you didn't receive the money that you were supposed to have gotten, and this happened to a lot of folks who were supposed to have gotten their stimulus money, but for some reason or other, they didn't get the right amounts or didn't get it at all, you can get it as part of a tax refund. It's called a rebate recovery credit, and you just report it on your tax return. Talk to your tax preparer about that. Now, if you had a child last year, or if you're now supporting yourself and you're no longer a dependent like you were before, you could be eligible for more money than the government sent you. You get to claim that as a credit on your 2020 return as well. Now, what about the other side of the coin? What if you didn't get the maximum credit and your income fell in 2020? Well, you might now qualify. And if you got more than you should have, this is the craziest part of the whole thing. The IRS sent more money to people than some people were supposed to have gotten. Was that you? Did you get a check in the mail and you really shouldn't have gotten one? You get to keep it. You don't have to report it to the IRS on your tax return, and you don't have to send the money back. I'm not quite sure I fully understand why, but that's what the IRS is telling us, so we're going to go for it. Oh, by the way, everything I just said applies only to stimulus payments. Unemployment benefits are different. If you received unemployment benefits last year, that counts as taxable income, meaning you not only owe taxes on your federal return, you could also owe taxes on your state return. Again, talk to your tax preparer to see if your state is applicable. The only good news is that you don't have to pay Social Security taxes on unemployment. You don't have to pay Medicare premiums either. And this situation is going to be with us for quite some time. As you know, Congress and the president are trying to figure out whether to provide another $1.9 trillion of stimulus. They're also talking about additional payments to children as young as 17 and below, as much as $3,600 to those kids. And we'll have to wait and see how all the tax implications are dealt with in that legislation as well. This money is certainly being long awaited by a lot of Americans. 2.7 million households are on a forbearance plan, meaning they're not making their mortgage payments. And according to the president's executive order this week, you're not going to have to make that mortgage payment 
until July. So a lot of folks have not been paying their mortgages, and they're not going to be paying them for another four or five months. But that's homeowners. What about tenants? There are millions of Americans facing eviction because they haven't been making their rent payments, and 51% of all the renters who are facing eviction are women. 35% of them are black Americans. And in fact, a survey that we just concluded this week here at Edelman Financial Engines found some fascinating results. We asked a bunch of questions. One of them was, are you optimistic about the future? 54% of whites said that they're optimistic. Hispanics and blacks were even more optimistic than white Americans. 69% of Hispanics, 75% of black Americans say they're optimistic about the future. Even though Hispanics and blacks were more likely to have been financially hurt by COVID than whites, they're more optimistic about the future. One concern I have is that their optimism might not always be grounded in reality because Hispanic Americans and black Americans are the least likely to have money set aside for an emergency. So I want you to ask yourself the question, are you optimistic about the future? If you are, first of all, you are representing the American spirit because we are a nation built on optimism. So, hey, I get it. As an entrepreneur, I am as optimistic as they come. There's no such thing as a pessimistic entrepreneur. But I want to make sure that your optimism is not being confused with overconfidence. So ask yourself, is your optimism justified? And to help you answer that question, I recommend that you talk with a professional financial advisor. We can review your situation, your circumstances, and help you make sure that your optimism is indeed well-placed by helping you make decisions about your daily money management, the employee benefits programs available to you at work, and other aspects of your personal finances. Let me shift over to the federal debt. This year, our federal debt will be more than the entire economic output of our nation. This is only the second time it has happened since World War II. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell says the unemployment rate is actually much higher than what the Labor Department says. The Labor Department says the unemployment rate is 6.3%, but Jay Powell says that doesn't include misclassification errors or acknowledge the fact that some workers have left the labor force. They're not counted in the unemployment data. So when you add in the fact that unemployment is at historically high levels, that the federal debt is now bigger than at any time since World War II on a relative basis to economic output, what does this debt mean to the economy? And what does it mean that President Biden wants to make the debt $1.9 trillion bigger than it already is? Republicans say that the debt threatens the economy. Democrats say that the debt is necessary to protect the economy. 
it's kind of like everybody looking at the same set of facts and drawing their own conclusions. We're going to have to wait and see how it all plays out. In the meantime, though, even though we have millions of Americans, about 11 million of them, facing foreclosure, which, as I said, the president has prohibited until June 30, we have another 3 million enrolled in forbearance. The housing market doesn't seem to care. There's a pandemic housing fever going on. If you go to buy a house, you walk through that property, you're going to be asked to make an offer right then and there. All cash, no contingencies, and waiving inspections. That is very dangerous. Last year, the average American homeowner made more than 1.2 emergency home repairs, three times more than a year earlier. Why are people making emergency home repairs on houses they just bought? Because they didn't do the inspections before they bought them. And so you need to recognize that if you're going to get caught up in the frothiness of the real estate market, letting down your guard, you could be setting yourself up for trouble. Before we take a break, I need to acknowledge the passing of Rush Limbaugh. Regardless of how you felt about his politics, there is no doubt, no question, that Rush Limbaugh was one of the most important radio personalities in the broadcast medium's history. And quite frankly, this radio show, which now airs on more than 85 radio stations across the country, is able to do that in no small part due to the groundbreaking of Rush Limbaugh. His radio show was consistently ranked the number one show in the country, broadcast on more than 600 stations and reaching 27 million people a week. And it was Rush Limbaugh who pioneered the notion of a nationally broadcast syndicated show reaching incredible numbers of people on a daily basis. He broadcast three hours every day. And I can tell you, as someone who has a weekly show, that the challenge of coming up with sufficient amounts of content and to deliver it in a unique and interesting and entertaining way is no small challenge. Rush Limbaugh, regardless of how you feel about his politics and his commentaries, undeniably one of the most significant personalities in radio history. Dead at age 70. Stay with us. We'll be back. More with the author of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Rick Edelman, number one New York Times bestselling author and founder of Edelman Financial Engines, takes questions on his hit radio show. Let's listen to Rick help a caller who's saving for retirement. Hey, Rick. How can I keep my retirement money safe? By taking some risk. That sounds weird, I know. But when it comes to saving for retirement, if you try to keep your money safe, you're actually taking big risks. Savings accounts, well, they're not safe from inflation. They're not safe from taxes. There are, in fact, 18 different asset classes, and they all have different risks. So spread your money around so no one thing can wipe you out. 
It's like having 12 eggs in 12 baskets. Diversification helps you manage your risk while still giving you the opportunities provided by the financial markets. That was award-winning radio host Rick Edelman. Get help diversifying your portfolio from one of our financial planners by calling 888-PLAN-RICK or visit rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. President Joe Biden is still planning to forgive student loan debt. 72% of those surveyed support the idea. Uh, I should say 72% of those who have student loans support the idea. I'm amazed it's only 72%. (laughs) I mean, if he's willing to waive money you owe, how come it's not 100%? Maybe because 28% agree that it's simply not all that fair. Still, 40% of all Americans agree with the idea of forgiving student loan debts. And you want to see another big number? How's this one? 62%. That is Joe Biden's approval rating in the early days of his presidency. That is a higher approval rating at this stage of his presidency than Barack Obama got, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, or Donald Trump. So it looks like so far, the president is indeed enjoying his honeymoon. But I don't know how long it's going to last. The president is trying to get a $15 minimum wage bill passed in Congress. The Congressional Budget Office says that raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour would lift nearly a million people out of poverty. 17 million, one out of 10 workers, would get an increase in income. The net pay for the nation's workers would grow by a third of a trillion dollars, but 1.4 million people would lose their jobs. So 1 million rise out of poverty, 1.4 million lose their jobs. And the federal deficit would increase $54 billion over a 10-year period. The proponents argue that the minimum wage, which is currently $7.25, has not changed since 2009. It's actually less than $7.25 when you adjust for inflation. It is all raising the question, how are we going to pay for all this? Well, states are busy trying to figure it out as well. Maryland has now become the first state in the nation to tax digital advertising revenue. The revenue that is earned by Facebook, Google, Amazon, and others. Maryland's tax will generate $250 million a year. That's just Maryland. Other states are planning on their own taxes as well. All the states need to figure out how to raise more money because their expenses have risen during the pandemic while their revenues have dropped. One issue pension obligations. States and cities around the country owe $5 trillion to their pension funds. And so what are some city governments doing? They're floating pension obligation bonds. Now, you got to follow me on this because it gets confusing. You start with the fact that a city owes money to its pension fund. So what do they do? The city creates a corporation. It gives the corporation assets. Well, what asset might a city have that it can give to a company? Say, a government office building. 
So the city takes the city headquarters, gives that deed to a corporation they've created. The corporation rents the office building right back to the city. You following all this? The city takes a building that it uses, puts it into the name of a corporation, pays rent to the corporation, and the corporation uses the income to prove that it's creditworthy. It then issues bonds in the name of the corporation. It raises money from the sale of the bonds, and it gives the money back to the city. And the city puts the money into the pension fund. Is any of this making any sense to you? Well, here's the crazy thing. This is allowing cities to fund their pension plans. But they do own interest on the bonds, and the cities hope that the interest that the corporations pay on the bonds is less than what the pensions will earn on the money they get. If that doesn't work out, the city's got to repay interest and principal to the bondholders. But if the bonds default, the city doesn't have to pay because the bonds aren't issued by the cities. They're issued by these dummy corporations. Detroit played this game in 2013, and when it declared bankruptcy, the owners of those pension obligation bonds lost 86% of their money. The Government Finance Officers Association says, quote, state and local governments should not issue pension obligation bonds. But they do it anyway, to the tune of $6 billion last year. So what's the moral of the story? If someone approaches you with the idea of buying a state or municipal bond that they say is a POB, a pension obligation bond, say no, because these bonds do not have the same government guarantees that are available from many other state and local government bonds. Oh, I get it. I understand that state and local governments are trying to raise revenue, but they've got to be careful of the consequences of raising taxes too much, too quickly, on too few. Stacy Cunningham just wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Stacy is the president of the New York Stock Exchange. The state of New York is considering to impose a stock transfer tax, meaning if you buy a stock, if you sell a stock, you will pay a tax to the state of New York. And Stacey Cunningham's op-ed was pretty blatant. If the state of New York proceeds with the stock transfer tax, the New York Stock Exchange will leave New York. Is Albany sure that that's what they want to have happen? And if you think we've got problems, look at the United Kingdom. Their economy just shrank more than at any time in the last, you ready for this, 300 years. So maybe we shouldn't be complaining too much. It's gotten so bad that Bill Michael, the chairman of KPMG in the United Kingdom, said in a virtual town hall to 1,500 employees, stop moaning about the pandemic and stop playing the victim card. He has since apologized for those remarks. Let me ask you a question. Do you own a business, a medical practice, law firm, a construction company, government contractor, any type of manufacturing company or what have you? If you have anywhere from 10 to 400 employees, you probably offer a retirement plan to your workers. And if your plan 
has assets of anywhere from half a million dollars to 35 million, we can help you. Just imagine letting go of the burden, the hassle, reducing the liability of running your employee retirement plan. Wouldn't you rather focus on running your business? Well, at Edelman Financial Engines, we're a 338 investment manager. And if you run your company 401k, you know what that means. And we're a 338 investment manager for retirement plans. That means we take on the role of being a fiduciary for selecting the funds for your plan. We handle the investment management for you, the plan management. We make sure the plan is up to date with the latest regulations. And we also act as your representative for your employees, for everything and anything related to the retirement plan. We give your employees one-on-one assistance with enrollment, financial education, the same investment strategies and portfolios we give all our clients. If you own a business, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or go to rickedelman.com. We are the nation's largest independent advice provider to 401ks in the country, and there's a reason. Check us out for your benefit, your company's benefit, and your employees' benefit. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. Stay with us. information on what you need to do now go to rickedelman.com that's rickedelman.com rick edelman number one new york times best-selling author and founder of edelman financial engines takes questions on his hit radio show let's listen to rick help a caller who's saving for retirement hey rick how can i keep my retirement money safe by taking some risk That sounds weird, I know, but when it comes to saving for retirement, if you try to keep your money safe, you're actually taking big risks. Savings accounts, well, they're not safe from inflation. They're not safe from taxes. There are, in fact, 18 different asset classes, and they all have different risks. So spread your money around so no one thing can wipe you out. It's like having 12 eggs in 12 baskets. Diversification helps you manage your risk while still giving you the opportunities provided by the financial markets. That was award-winning radio host Rick Edelman. Get help diversifying your portfolio from one of our financial planners by calling 888-PLAN-RICK or visit rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. You know, there's so much conversation these days about politics, wondering what are the proper answers to the major policy debates that are going on in Washington. I thought I would share with you a major decision that was made by one of the leading politicians of his era, Benjamin Franklin. Ben Franklin, of course, the famous inventor, publisher, scientist, diplomat. He helped to draft the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, He negotiated the 1783 Treaty of Paris that ended the Revolutionary War, publisher of Poor Richard's Almanac. He created America's first library. He founded the University of Pennsylvania. When Ben Franklin died on April 17, 1790, he bequeathed 1,000 pounds sterling to the cities of Boston and Philadelphia. 
That was about $119,000 today. And Ben gave a simple instruction. The bulk of that money was to remain untouched for 200 years. Never before had anybody bequeathed money with such an instruction. Well, 200 years went by, 1990, and the two trusts that he established were terminated. Boston and Philadelphia received millions of dollars. That 119 grand that Ben set aside, a lot of it was spent during the 200 years in accordance with his wishes, but the rest grew to more than $22 million. Another $10 million was provided in loans throughout the two centuries. If that 119 grand had been left completely untouched, the account would have grown to half a billion dollars, exactly as Franklin had calculated in his will. By the way, Ben Franklin calculated that the money would grow 5% per year. And he was right. 119 grand at 5% for 200 years would grow to $2 billion. But if he had instead earned 10%, which, by the way, was the average annual return of the S&P 500 since 1926, 10% for 200 years? Well, 119 grand would not have grown to $2 billion. It would have grown to $23 trillion. This is the incredible effect of compound growth. And it was the inspiration for my creation of the proposal called RISE, Retirement Income Security for Everyone. Think about it. How long do you let your money grow and compound? Well, if you're like most folks, you joined your 401k when you were in your 30s. And so you get 20 or 30, maybe 40 years of compounding on your money, but you're alive for 70 before you retire. So why are we only letting our money grow for 30 or 40 years when we're alive for 70? That's what RISE accomplishes. My proposal would have money set aside for babies upon birth. So instead of having them grow money and enjoy compounding for only three or four decades, they get to enjoy it for seven decades. And that is how incredibly small amounts of money are able to produce massive annual income in retirement. I encourage you to go to the website wecanrise.com to learn about my proposal called Retirement Income Security for Everyone, RISE. It's gotten a lot of really good feedback. It's starting to get attention in the financial trade press, and I'm hopeful that it will engage members of Congress in their efforts to solve the problems of income inequity in retirement for all future generations. That's RISE, wecanrise.com. Let's fast forward to an issue a little more current. Who lost in the Super Bowl? Oh, I know what you're thinking. It was Kansas City. But no, they weren't the biggest losers in the Super Bowl. The biggest loser was Jeep. Their two-minute ad cost them $10 million and has been reportedly the worst-liked ad that appeared during the Super Bowl. The ad, as you probably saw, or maybe you didn't, featured Bruce Springsteen, his narration of being in the middle to the reunited states of America, he said. 
This ad was voted the most divisive ad of all. Half of the people surveyed say they hated it, while the other half said they loved it. And the net sentiment toward Jeep fell 22% on the day after the Super Bowl. And then the news emerged that Bruce Springsteen had been arrested for drunk driving in November. Well, there's only a little bit of good news out of this for Jeep. The Super Bowl had more ads than ever, and it was the least watched Super Bowl in 14 years. So maybe a lot of people didn't get to see it at all. We're going to leave Bruce, and we're going to go to Leo. He's in Roswell, Georgia. Welcome to the program, Leo. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Well, thanks for calling. How can I help you today? Well, two reasons. Number one, I saw an article you wrote about uh, essentially never giving up the mortgage on your house and to uh, get as much interest and deductions as you could with the mortgage you could afford. And the second thing is I'm facing some uh, medical bills with my wife's problems. So I was curious whether refinancing a mortgage at this time to reduce monthly payments to put towards the increased medical bills was a smart thing to do. It could very well be. I'm very sorry to hear of your wife's health issues. Uh, And when you're trying to free up cash, it makes sense to lower expenses elsewhere as best you can. And so, yes, if you can refinance to a lower interest rate, that reduces your monthly expenses, that could very well be a good idea. A couple of criteria we need to consider. One is the cost of the refinance, and two is how many years you plan to stay in the home. So give me that idea. How long do you think it'll be before you sell the house? Well, the truth of the matter is we had intended to sell the house and move to Florida before these medical issues came about, all right? I'm afraid to put her in an assisted living home with the current medical virus, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So my current mortgage is at about 5.125%. I have found uh, a mortgage at 2.625%. That's on a 30-year term. Right. That would lower my principal and interest about $500 a month. And if they charge... $4,000 to do the refinance, I figure that's about an eight-month break-even point. Yeah, and which is very worthwhile. Uh, Let me take it a step further. What's the value of your house? Well, you know, I was thinking it was around $450, $475, but with the market and the reduction in available properties, it may be $500 or more. Okay. I get... uh, notes in my mailbox if you're considering selling call me so yeah what's the balance that you owe on the mortgage 185 in round numbers so that means you've got a lot of equity in the house in addition to refinancing you might want to consider a cash out refi meaning pull 50,000 or 100,000 dollars out of the mortgage it'll increase your payment But that will give you a huge amount of cash, which you can then use to help you pay your bills, help 
take care of your wife. And if you're going to sell the house in a year or two anyway, you're just going to be basically getting the cash prior to the sale. So it's not necessarily a bad idea, and it could give you a lot of extra cash flow to help you at the moment. It's called a cash-out refinance. Okay. Basically, it's this. You owe 185000 right now. You say to the bank, I want to get rid of that loan, and I want a brand-new loan of $225,000 or $250,000. And they'll give you the new loan which is more than you need to pay off the old loan, and you pocket the difference. So you're taking cash out of the house by virtue of the refinancing. Okay, I've never heard of that. That's a good idea. Okay. Yeah, it'll give you a lot of cash, and the lower interest rate will help that the payment doesn't go up all that much. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. You're very welcome. I wish you and your wife the very best. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad I saw that article and got in touch with you. Thank you. I'm glad you called as well. That was Leo in Roswell, Georgia, here on the Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. You can call us if you have a question about what you should be doing with your personal finances. My colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines ready to take your phone call and get you the answers to the questions you've got about anything involving a dollar sign. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at rickedelman.com. with the author of the 2008 Personal Finance Book of the Year, The Lies About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Rick Edelman, number one New York Times best-selling author and founder of Edelman Financial Engines, takes questions on his hit radio show. Let's listen to Rick help a caller who's saving for retirement. Hey, Rick, how can I keep my retirement money safe? By taking some risk. That sounds weird, I know, but when it comes to saving for retirement, if you try to keep your money safe, you're actually taking big risks. Savings accounts, well, they're not safe from inflation. They're not safe from taxes. There are, in fact, 18 different asset classes, and they all have different risks. So spread your money around so no one thing can wipe you out. It's like having 12 eggs in 12 baskets. Diversification helps you manage your risk while still giving you the opportunities provided by the financial markets. That was award-winning radio host Rick Edelman. Get help diversifying your portfolio from one of our financial planners by calling 888-PLAN-RICK or visit rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Everybody's excited about the stock market. Investors poured a record $58 billion into stock funds last week, slashing the amount of money they hold in cash. Tech funds got $5.5 billion of new deposits in a single week, an all-time high. Bank of America says its assets and stocks are now 63% on behalf of its clients, an all-time high. In the meantime, the high-yield bond index is now nearly 4%. The 10-year Treasury is 1.2. Which would you rather buy? A super safe Treasury guaranteed by the federal government, paying 1.2%, or a high-yield bond, that's code for junk, that's paying almost 4%. Well, junk bond sales are at the highest level since 2007. In fact, 21% 
of all the high-yield bonds that have been sold this year are rated triple C or below. You know, the very best, safest bonds are triple A. And then you go double A, single A, triple B, double B, single C. And then all the way down on that list, triple C. And 21% of all high-yield bonds are rated at that level or worse. That's more than at any time since 2007. Some examples, Gannett, the country's largest newspaper chain, borrowed a billion dollars in January. They're paying seven and three quarters percent interest. Party City raised 750 million last week, issued a five-year bond. A year ago, its bonds were trading at 10 cents on the dollar. And yet people were willing to give them more money at 100 cents on the dollar. Inafos Holdings issued what's called a PIC bond, P-I-K. What does that mean? P-I-K, pay in kind. This is a bond that pays interest in the form of more bonds. You don't even get cash when they pay their interest payments. They raised $175 million. And by the way, what did they do with the $175 million that investors gave them? They used the money to pay a dividend to their shareholders. By the way, they only have one shareholder, a private equity firm. So the company raised $175 million, gave it all to their investor, didn't use the money to grow the business, and when they pay interest, it'll be a piece of paper, an IOU, not real cash. Or how about Carnival Corporation? Carnival Cruise Ships, with a B rating, they're spending $500 million a month to try to stay afloat. You like the pun, Carnival Cruise Lines, stay afloat, you get it? Work with me here, people. They borrowed last week $3.5 billion. It's the fifth time since the pandemic started that they've borrowed money. This time around, they had to post the ships as collateral. Wow. In light of all of this, the stock market at its highest level ever, investors pouring money into the stock market, the bond market paying little to nothing if it's a high-quality, safe, guaranteed bond, but exorbitantly high rates if it's a junk bond rating on a company of questionable financial solvency. What does the Fed have to say about all this? Well, the Federal Reserve is now demanding that the 19 biggest banks in America can prove that they can withstand the shock of a stock market crash of 55%. Yeah, the Fed is apparently fearful that the stock market might fall by more than half, and they want to know that the American banking system won't collapse if that occurs. It's great to see the Fed taking this action, but on the other hand, you have to wonder, why do they feel the need to make a test of that kind? Oh, one item of note that I couldn't resist mentioning. Does your company have a 401k? Of all the companies in America that have a 401k, 96% of them make matching contributions. So your company probably does as well. We certainly do here at Edelman Financial Engines. It's a wonderful employee benefit. It's literally free money to you, which is why we so strongly encourage people who have a 401k where you work, you should join the plan and you should contribute enough at a minimum so that you qualify for the full match. 
with a lot of employers, you only get the match if you contribute. This is their motivation to help encourage you, to entice you, to motivate you to save for your retirement. If you put in a dollar, we'll put in 50 cents. Or in some cases, you put in a dollar, we'll put in a dollar, up to some limit, maybe 4% of pay or 3% of pay or 6% of pay or what have you. Whatever your employer's matching program is, you need to make sure you're participating because you literally double your money. You put in money, they put in money. What a great deal. That's even before it gets invested and you earn any potential investment returns. How can you argue with that? So yeah, 96% of companies that offer a 401k make matching contributions. But guess who's among the 4% who doesn't? Tesla. Tesla has just reported profitability six consecutive quarters. And they have a 401k, but they don't contribute any matching funds to it. Instead, recently, Tesla just spent $1.5 billion on Bitcoin. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Triple Eight, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. Time now for everybody's favorite segment of the program, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. Jean, founder here at Edelman Financial Engines, a degree in consumer economics and nutrition, with a special message for our nephew, Michael. Thanks, Rick. Hi, everybody. Always great to be with you. So, yeah, I know it's February, but uh, graduation is on the minds of many. And uh, Rick and I, we were asked to provide some words of wisdom for our nephew. So I thought, well, if they're good enough for Michael, they're good enough for everybody else. So I just wanted to share our words of wisdom to all the young folks out there. And hopefully they can spark something in, in each and every one of you. So I broke it down. There's words of wisdom from Aunt Jean, and then there's words of wisdom from Uncle Rick. So words of wisdom from Aunt Jean. Always be kind and treat others with respect. Treat others as you wish to be treated. You get from life what you give. Always give your best and do it selflessly. It will come back to you tenfold. Have patience, for life has its own timetable, and it, whatever it is, will come when the time is right. Behave each day so that as you look yourself in the mirror each evening before you go to bed, you know you have done your best. Life is a journey. Never settle. Keep learning and know that we learn the most from our mistakes. Always know your why. This gives us purpose and it keeps us focused for what is in front of us. And then Uncle Rick had some words of wisdom for Michael and for everyone out there. Be purposeful in life. Set goals and keep them ever present in your mind. Talk to others who have been where you are going, or where you want to go. Learning from their experiences will save you time, money, effort, and anguish. Always be true to your own heart. Don't let others sway you from doing what you know is right for you. Each month, spend less than you earn. This is a tactic that will assure you great prosperity throughout your life. Work hard, play hard, get to sleep exhausted, knowing you made the most of each day. 
And remember, you're never alone. Your family is always with you, supporting you and loving you. So those are our words of wisdom. We wanted to share them with you and everyone who's graduating this year. Have a great week, everyone. That's my wife, Jean Edelman, here on The Truth About Money. Triple Eight, Plan Rick. Thanks for joining me on the program this weekend. We're about out of time on another opportunity for you to check out my new proposal that would eliminate income inequity for all future generations. You can check it all out at wecanrise.com. See you next week. The truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show. Rick Edelman, award winning radio host and founder of Edelman Financial Engines, takes questions on his radio show. Let's hear his answer on long term care. Hi, Rick. I'm worried about the cost of long term care. Should I get insurance? You're smart to ask because one in two Americans over 65 will need long term care. But do you need the insurance? It depends on your financial situation. If you're rich, you don't need insurance because you can afford the costs. If you're poor, Medicaid will pay for your care. But if you're in the middle class, the cost of care could push you and your spouse into poverty. Before you buy insurance, consider your complete finances, including your savings and investments. Get independent advice from someone who will give you the guidance you need and that's in your best interest. That's Rick Edelman, founder of Edelman Financial Engines. If you're looking for a trusted partner, talk to one of our financial planners by calling 888-PLAN-RICK or visit rickedelman.com.